This is the latest and newest episode of Earning Their Stripes. Thank you for being here with us. We're going to have a, a lot of good conversation, ranging from Sixto Sanchez being absolutely dominant to kind of answering the question of what we're going to do with the abundance of all of the outfield talent in the system. Go look at Isan Diaz's production at the major league level as well, and then get to our regular routine with our regular segments. As always, this is Danny Martinez with Ian Smith, Ethan Badowski. Ian, how you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic, boys. I'm glad to be back talking to you guys this week. And we got some topics that's going to be fun, so I'm glad to be here. Yeah, Ethan's excited for the football game. How you doing, brother? Um, I I'm cannot wait for five days from now, from Saturday. I know I was talking a little cocky before the show with you, Danny, getting all excited. But oh, I just can't wait. I think it's going to be a really fun atmosphere down there in Orlando and uh, – you know, I've been waiting a long time for this game, so I'm, I'm really, really excited about that and excited about what's going on in the Marlins system as well. Plenty of stuff going on. Yeah, my question is, if the Gators really do get upset, how angry <laughs> and how willing are you guys going to be to be on the show? I, I won't do the show. <laughs> I'll, take, I'll take the hit, but we're, if we get upset in this game, then this, this season's a loss. Yeah, uh, then this, there's something wrong. There's <laughs> something wrong. So, somebody got yeah. hurt or something, man. We'll see. I Let's will see. be really humble, I promise. I will be really modest. I'm, I'm sure you will. <laughs> hey man, I can't all right, so let's dive into it. Someone who doesn't have to be humble and modest at all because he's freaking dominating the minor league system right now, even after his promotion is Sixto Sanchez. We all know Sixto was acquired from the Phillies. JT Ramuto, best catcher in baseball, was sent that way. Sixto was sent this way with Alfaro. Sixto started off and then got promoted to Jacksonville. He has 17 games in double A. Almost 100 innings pitch. Throughout that time, he has a 2.64 ERA. And listen to this because it never happens. His fielding independent pitching is exactly the same at 2.64 as well. 96 strikeouts to only 19 walks. We're going to say that again. 96 Ks to less than 20 walks. He has only allowed 84 hits, which means that he has more strikeouts in his time in AA, his first time in AA, than he has allowed hits. To me, it's just... It's exciting to see. It's something that we really needed to see in the system. Finally, someone comes over and performs at the top of their ability as a prospect. And I want Ian to start off here, brother. What do you see with Sixto? What have you seen with Sixto? And just how do you feel overall about his performance in Double A? Oh man, I mean, just in general, for what I wanted to see from Sixto Sanchez this year was a hundred innings. I think I tweeted out like the night of the Real Muto trade that. That was my the most important thing for me this year was him pitching 100 innings, and he's I think he's at 111 between single A and double A right now, and he's been absolutely dominant. I was able to see him a few times this year, and the fastball's been electric. He's had both breaking balls working at plus plus levels probably all all season long. He's looked great. The 96 to 19 to K to walk ratio it's just been I mean. I don't know what more you can say about that. Everybody was worried about the K numbers early in the year, and then now you look at these numbers now, and it's ridiculous. I mean, <clears throat> the guy has been as advertised. He's been compared to guys like Johnny Cueto, Pedro Martinez, and, I mean, you're not going not gonna to say that now, but the kid's 21 years old. He just turned 21. He's going to have a real shot to probably make this opening day roster next year. I mean, I don't see any way out around that. He's shown the ability this year to dominate this pitching. He's not going to see any more competition at the AAA level next year. 
he might start the year, yeah, maybe, but I think he's going to have a real shot coming out of spring after this year he's put up this year. Yeah, I mean, what we've seen from Sixto, especially with the way he started, you know, everybody was kind of worried about how much he was getting hit around. He had, you know, 11 hits and one start in it at the beginning in double A and then seven and seven back to back. I'm looking at these totals now, but I mean, since then, like, since he started putting it all together, he's just been amazing. And uh, the last few times out, he's just been absolutely dominant. I mean, his last five starts, uh, six innings, five innings, six innings, six innings, seven innings, and he's only given up two earned runs in those five starts. Uh, he's pitching a ton of innings and looking good throughout games. Uh, so, you know, from a longevity standpoint and a sustainability standpoint in terms of him coming back from that injury, you know, there haven't really been a ton of worries about him this year. And and like Ian said, like he's at 99 innings in double A right now on the dot. And that's just, you know, that's what all you can ask for as the Marlins organization is it, it's been fantastic. And only five home runs for, a, a, a you know, as hard as that guy throws, like he's not giving up a ton of hot, hard contact, struck out more guys than he's, you know, than he's let up hits. I mean, what can you say about this guy, you know, and we had, I had Roger Hoover on last week, you know, in, a, in that interview with him, I asked him straight up, could uh, Sixto play in the big leagues right now? And he said he absolutely could. And uh, Swing and a hard grounder up the middle. Twine backhanded stabs behind the bag. Second baseman's got it. Throws to first for the out. And this inning is over. Sixto Sanchez now through 24 innings in a row without allowing a run. Um, I, I think he could. And yeah, I'd love to see him. The only thing that, the only reason that the Marlins would um, send him to AAA is to get him used to some like kind of minor, major league level hitting, but he's facing the prospects in AA and he's dominating like this. Like I agree with Ian. If, if he really shows his stuff in spring training, I mean, I don't know why he can't be on the opening day roster next year. He's just been so fantastic this year. Yeah. And you said something that's really important. You said he's been good throughout games and that's where I look at a pitcher when they have any type of arm concerns or durability concerns. So the fact that over the year he's logged over more than 100 innings is telling in itself. But then when you look at the box score, you look at the film, and in the sixth inning, he's still pitching with as much velo and with as much movement, and he's still controlling the pitches, and he's still not giving up walks. He's not giving up hard contact the same way that he was in the first and the second inning. It tells you that this is true durability. Right. Yeah. He's not just flashing and then blowing up after the six or his arms just giving out on him after logging 95 innings throughout the year. This is true durability that is so welcomed when we kept hearing all the reports of, you know, Philadelphia was kind of worried about his arm. Then he comes here and he doesn't even start the regular minor league season on time because the Marlins are taking it slowly with him and they're being careful with him. And then he starts in A and has some difficulties not striking out the guys he's supposed to at the rate that we're, mm -hmm. we're accustomed to with him and then he gets to Jacksonville and it's just like let's go I'm the ace and I'm just going to keep pitching until you guys realize who I am and you don't have to worry yeah. about my arm so it's it's nice to see it seems like both of you guys kind of hit on the follow-up question of what we would do with him right we're, we're kind of saying look he's been dominant if he wants to go they have to send him to AAA just to see some major league hitting that might be down there at the second sure but I think we all agree, and someone disagree with me here if you don't, that he at least should get a shot, or at least will get a shot to make opening day out of spring next year. Yeah? I agree. I mean, I think so. I mean, I don't see why not. I mean, if he's healthy and the arm looks good like it has all year, why not give him a shot? 
Yeah, I agree. And just one more thing, Danny, to touch on about the strikeouts. Like we talked about, you know, when the strikeouts weren't there, how he's got to kind of like go outside the strike zone a little bit, but he still peppers the strike zone. And this dude is striking, you know, racking up the strikeout numbers. So, I mean, yeah, like he's ready. You know, he looks major league ready and uh, he looks like, you know, he could be the ace of this Marlins uh, rotation for a long time. And we always had that pitching depth. But until we got him, we didn't really have that ace. And all of a sudden, we have the headline guy that's going to headline the system for years to come. Yeah, I agree. Ian, I have a curveball question here for you. It's not in the notes, okay? So get ready to hit it. We have someone in Jacksonville as well who's the same age as Sixto Sanchez (laughs) and is producing at a very similar production level. Now, he only has 35 innings in double A because they took a little bit more time to promote him. If we're so confident that Sixto can win a starting position and a starting rotation position out of opening or out of spring training. Why are we not the same with Edward Cabrera? I think Edward's going to take more time. I mean, not for the fact that he might not need more time. His stuff is ready to play probably at any level, but just doesn't have the amount of endings that he needs at the double A level. I think mm-hmm. he probably needs a hundred endings at double A before we really know what kind of pitcher he's going to continue to be. This development has been short lived. It wasn't like he's been building towards this before. This this really just came about in 2019, like like a like a hurricane. He's been he's been extremely good, and it was almost out of nowhere. We knew six though could pitch coming into 2018, coming into 2017. This kid has yeah. had has had the back the backstory, but if Eddie can keep up the same pace he's on, I think he'll get a shot probably by August next year. So I don't think it's a no long process, but. If he's he's only currently on the DL right now, I believe. If he's not off, but uh, he just hasn't had the time this year. He's probably going to get one or two more starts before the end of the year, and then just <clears throat> let him lead this rotation next year and see what we really have with him. Yeah, I think that's the thing. I think that's the thing with Eddie is just like the the uh, longevity factor. Like he just hasn't been as good for as long as uh, Sixto, and like he's obviously been tremendous this year, and he had a nice year last year, but. I mean, the numbers, when you look at them, like, you know, it kind of looks like a bit of an outlier, but he's still been really good in Jacksonville, which is the really encouraging thing. Uh, His FIP is a little high, but I mean, yeah, I think the thing is like six. So is that elite prospect, you know, came in as elite. He's been dominant elsewhere. And Eddie was kind of like this, you know, hidden gem, this like diamond in the rough. And, you know, we found it this year and he's brought it out this year. But I think because of that, because... You know, it, it hasn't been as long that he's been doing this. It might take a little more time. But, um, yeah, I mean, Eddie could – if he dominates last, you know, again next year, he should definitely start in the minors at double-A. If he dominates next year, um, you know, September is a, is a possibility. It's in play. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't disagree. I just wanted to see y'all's perspective on this. I'll also add one other 21-year-old that's in double-A at the moment, and that's Trevor mm-hmm. Rogers. And he has, uh, you oh, know, he has guy. injury history. Um, there are things with him there that we could also peg along as to why he won't come definitely, at least in my opinion, come out of spring training with the Marlins. But it's also interesting to say that he is a 21-year-old in Jacksonville, also shoving, okay, and, and just doing really well yeah, on the mound. And he could he could be someone we see mid-2020 as well with Eddie. It, it's just it's nice to have both of them there, especially then when we consider that Braxton Garrett's coming right behind them as well and other talents. So, I mean, just Jacksonville is a landmine the same way that Jupiter was before on the mound. It's great to see. 
I mean, Rodgers is dominating this year. His numbers are insane this year. He's got 143 strikeouts. He's got 29 walks in 127 innings. I mean, he's it's two complete years back to back. Um, this kid's really good, and he's been he struck out 10 in his last start in Jacksonville in seven innings. Only walked one guy. Only let up two hits. Uh, he had like a bit of a wake me up start in his first one where he got knocked around a little bit, but. I mean, this guy's been really, really good in, in all year, and and he's lingering on the outside of the top 100. There, are, we talked about those three arms that are right, you know, seven, eight, nine in the Marlins system: Rogers, Eddie, and Brax. And Rogers is absolutely lingering right on the outside of the top 100, and I think he should be one um, sooner than later. Yeah, by the end of 2020. The Marlins are not going to know what to do with all these pitching prospects. No. I mean, they might get traded away. They might try to go land a big fish, uh, as corny as that sounds, in the trade market or do something where they will use this trade. But man, by the end of 2020, when you add the understanding that we already have a Pablo Lopez and a Sandy who's put together some nice starts and a Yams who's put together some nice starts, and then we're talking about these guys coming up, it, it's, it's, it's a beautiful strength. Now, pitching isn't the only strength in the minor league system, at least when we're talking about prospect profiles. This uh, this question comes in from one of our <laughs> listeners. They want us to talk a little bit about the fact there's an abundance of outfield talent throughout the entire minor league system, so much so that a guy like J.D. Orr, who deserves a promotion, can't get one because he's blocked yeah. every single level of the way by another outfield prospect. So here's a non-exhaustive list okay at the major league level you already have a harold ramirez you have a garrett cooper and a brian anderson which have other primary positions but can play in the outfield then you have these fringe guys who haven't shown what they uh necessarily would have liked to with a lewis brinson with a Bagnera sierra you have a john birdie who's all of a sudden this journeyman who finally makes his debut and has been doing well for the fish in a rebuilding year and then we get to the prospects a Jesus Sanchez, who I believe is just absolutely the best hitting prospect in the system at the moment. Amante Harrison, Victor Victor Mesa, Mesa Jr., a Brian Miller, Tristan Pompey, Connor Scott, J.J. Bladé, Cameron Meisner, Hedad Encarnacion. You, you get the point. There's a lot of guys, and that's without even mentioning a J.D. Orr and a Peyton Burdick. What is your opinion, Ethan, on what the Marlins do with this very good problem to have? And who do you think comes out finally as the next outfield core for the fish? Uh, I think if all goes well, and if all goes as the fans, I think, want, I think we're going to get Jesus Sanchez, Monte Harrison, and J.J. Bladé as your starting outfield for the Marlins for the next millennium. Um, do, is that the most likely scenario? Yeah, probably. I mean, yeah, I was asking that as if I was going to say no, but that is probably the most likely scenario because they're all right there. They're all looking like really solid guys and they all fit in well because you play Monte in center or or right, you play Bladé in center or right and then you put Jesus in left. I mean, it can all work out well, but you know, obviously it doesn't always go perfectly and as you plan and the Marlins have a ton of guys that I think they really like to get uh, in the outfield. I mean, Cameron Meisner is a beast. He's been hitting really well in Clinton, showing a lot of tools, you know, running well, um, playing good defense. I mean, uh, Burdick is on fire. Burdick has been one of the best uh, hitting prospects since he joined the system. Uh, he's been tremendous. Uh, J.D. Orr is really good, like you said. Like, 
he literally can't get a promotion because there are just too many guys in front of him. But he's a guy that has like a 900 OPS and doesn't even hit for a ton of power. Um, and he's just kind of flying under the radar. Not to mention the breakout of Gerard Encarnacion. Um, you you know what 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 will we see from Victor Victor uh, Mesa next year? You know will we see him start hitting the ball more, tap into some more power, take some more walks? You know what I mean? So um, I mean there are so many ways that the Marlins can go and I think the likelihood of it um, keep an eye on Francisco Lindor and where he played uh, keep an eye on some of these guys that's going to make a position of need but you know all of a sudden then it's like well we have Jazz Chisholm now you know at shortstop so it's like we have such this huge problem of like where are we going to fit all this talent which we didn't have which is so crazy to me because we didn't have it at the beginning of the year you know um the beginning of the year, these box scores were devoid of anything exciting on the hitting side of the ball. Nobody was hitting really, but now all of a sudden, all these guys are just on tears. And I mean, to be honest with you, you know, you know, at the major league level right now, like BA, I want him to play third base. I think he should be the third baseman of the future. Uh, Harold and Cooper, who God knows what's going to happen with them. Um, Brinson, you know, it might be time to, he's been playing really great defense in center field since he's got back, but he just hasn't done it, you know? And so who knows where we go with that? But I mean, a lot of these guys, like, you know, you, you can only have so many. So a lot of these guys could be um, really nice trade pieces as sad as I see, be, see, uh, be to see any of these guys go. But I mean, how does a package of like Connor Scott, Scott, Gerard Encarnacion, uh, JD Orr, and, you know, one of our pitchers for Francisco Lindor sound, I mean, right now, you know, the, Indians might not be that sad about it. So, you know, that's just a hypothetical and I'm not saying we should trade those guys, but that's what you do in a rebuild. That's what the Cubs did. They had guys that were expandable that they could go out and get a Jose Quintana an Araldis Chapman who helped them win the world series, a Cole Hamels, you know what I mean? These, all these guys that they traded for, and that's what the Marlins are setting themselves up to be able to do to trade for the highest of high quality pitching, like the, uh, the Astros just did. And you know what I mean? So it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. But really, you know, realistically, you can only play three or four, depending on if the DH comes and somebody maybe can move to first base. But now Lewin Diaz is there. It's crazy. It's a crazy clusterfuck in the outfield right now. And I really think that um, we can, you know, some some way something good is going to come out. I have three really good guys every night in the outfield in Miami. I, I mean, I agree with the trade scenarios you're putting out. The 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 offer you said would be laughed at by a lot of teams for the first star, though. You mentioned the Cubs and what they gave away to acquire some of those players. And you got to remember what they gave away to get yeah. a Quintana and a Araldis Chapman. It's a Gleyber Torres and things like that. So I think if the Marlins do start having an outlier of talent in the outfield like we're seeing that it's going to take a J.J. Bidet or Jazz Chisholm mm-hmm. to lead a big trade if they want to trade for Lindor or Xander Bogarts mm-hmm. or something like that. I don't think it's going to be a, a sub a substantial, um, like a subpar yeah. piece of the package. But it, it can, right. it's but very possible to- that these pieces can pan out to be a trade package once and for, said and for all. Hey, Ryan, and, and- can I ask you, um, excuse me, go ahead, Ethan. Sorry, you know, like you said, like, 
what's the problem with putting Jazz in a trade for Francisco Lindor? <laughs> you know, like I'm not going to complain about that necessarily. So it's just it's just the loading up that we're doing to be able to swing these kinds of trades. But yeah, it, it probably will take time. Absolutely, and I was, I've been talking about this for all week and last week even with a few people. Like it's it's something that's going to be in the in the cards in the next few years. Like they're putting together so much talent. And they're they're maximizing talent with these with these offers. If you just look at the the Nick Anderson deal, but in two to three years, I think this outfield could be extremely odd with these guys we have now. I can see an outfield of he- Jesus Sanchez, Cameron Meisner, and Gerard Encarnacion in Miami in a few years. Like it's 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 odd to me. I mean, there's so many things that can happen with this team, but it's such a great thing to have so much talent at every level. Victor Victor Mesa was deemed the savior last offseason. He's not even getting mentioned that that frequently as a future. I mean, he's had an extremely down year and things like that. But he hasn't played in three years, obviously. But we're, we don't know what we have with him yet. But seeing these guys dominate all around is just so exciting. Like, just, I just I can't talk about where we were in 2015 through 2017 and where we are now. Like, just being a prospect fan and knowing what this team has done is so exciting. And seeing the hitters all over the system is, is just great. Yeah, for, for the person that says, like this question, what do we do with all of this talent and what comes of it? My personal answer is that from this crop of players comes a solution. And I don't mean you're going to get the starting from these three, but a solution will come. So, so what do I mean? Number one, it's going to come either via trade, like you guys discussed. Okay, and these some of these players will be going out, but you get a starter. It's going to maybe come from these guys. I mean, they say 30 percent of prospects get close to their ceiling. All right. We have about 15 here in the outfield. Let's hope that the right ones, the ones with the higher ceilings, develop correctly, because if at the end of the day we get Ethan's scenario, of Monte Harrison and J.J. Bleday and Jesus Sanchez welcome to what would be a fantastic outfield in all of baseball that anyone can be envious of, very similar to what the previous core was with was different prospect say. profiles, but still very similar with high talent. If they don't pan out, then that might be someone else's problem because we would have traded our assets for their stars. So it's a good problem to have and a solution will come of it, whether it's a JJ Blade and a Monte Harrison and a Jesus Sanchez or a star somewhere else. That's already proven that we're giving up these guys for, uh, I'm going to ask you guys this. We keep going off the notes, but that's okay. That's what makes this fun. I want y'all to choose who your favorite prospect is out of oh. that outfield group. Oh. And I just want to see if we have a consensus or if we don't. And what we're going to do is we're going to do two. I want your favorite one and then who would be your runner-up. So, Ethan, go ahead and go first. Tell me who is your favorite prospect out of the outfield group. Oh, my God. Um, oh, my God. Uh, uh, I, Monte. Monte would be my favorite. I mean, that's been my boy, you know, since he came in. I love the swag he plays with. And I, he was such a great guy when he was on with us. I enjoyed that so much. Um, Monte would probably be my favorite on and off the field. I just love the way he plays. Uh, but man, after that, I mean, it gets really tough. Uh, I love, I love the way we got Jesus into the Sanchez, uh, Jesus into the Sanchez, Jesus Sanchez into the system. Um, I, I love Burdick been raking all year. I really love Gerard. Obviously the backbone of this rebuild right now in a way because he was the number one overall pick um 
I'll go with I'll go off the radar a little bit and I'll go with Burdick. I just love the way this guy's hitting and his numbers in college were so great. And um, but Blade, you know, I don't know. There's too many. There's so many. But Monte is definitely like in his own level for me. Okay, so you're going Monte number one, and you're going off the off the wall. Yeah. You said off the board with Burdick. All right, Ian, what you got? Yeah, I'm actually going to go with Harar Encarnacion as my favorite prospect in the outfield right now. I think this kid has made crazy strides this year, and it could yeah. be something special to see what we can unlock with this guy. And man, Connor Scott, man, is my number two. He, he can turn, He's got all the tools to be a real stud in center field. And he's six four, and he's nineteen years old, and already in high A. Like the kid can be a problem if he unlocks his power. And it's just there's a lot of guys that even said like I could have went Sanchez, I could have went Monte, I, sh- I still could have went Tristan Pompey as my guy. But like there's just so many guys. And and I promise you to anyone who's listening, and they will tell you this really wasn't planned, but this shows the diversity. We already have multiple guys chosen. Here are my two. Number one, I want to yeah. say this. From a full perspective, I love Monte. So Monte would be my choice. I think Monte is going to be great. I really buy into the fact that character matters. I think he's going to be a starting piece when the next time that the Marlins yeah. are a playoff team. Okay? But if I'm talking just purely on the field, all right, my first guy is likely the safest guy. I really am going Jesus Sanchez. I just don't see any way uh, that this guy falters off a cliff. I, I don't know if he hits his entire ceiling, but he's going to be productive. That's my assessment. So one safest guy, Jesus Sanchez. Second is the youngest guy, because I love myself some Victor Mesa Jr. I really oh, believe... I love, I, I, I really believe that he, and this is ridiculous because we're talking about a teenager, okay? But I believe that him coming into the system at such a young age and with that swing that we already see, he is the person that whether it's three or four years from now, it'll be so worth the wait. It'll be so worth the wait to see him come up to be a part of what at that point should already be a competitive Marlins team that keeps building upon itself. So with me, I go from safest to one of probably the more volatile because of the age, but with Victor Mesa Jr. And it just speaks to the fact that all three of us can choose six guys, basically, who are all uh, uh, just elite. I mean, not elite at the moment of performance, but could be elite, very... uh, a championship-oriented talent in the outfield. So so we'll wrap it up with that. We'll wrap it up with that, and we'll go to someone who's already in the major league system, and Ian's going to hit us, lead off here. Isan Diaz is someone that we have loved forever in the system, okay? And we've had him on. He's a guest of the show. He was awesome. His brother is fantastic. Everything about Isan Diaz uh, is something that we promote in this uh, podcast because he's deserved it. He comes up to the major league level. He gets his promotion. He's only played 13 games, okay? Throughout those 13 games, he has nine hits. Seven of those are singles, so we're not seeing much extra base and pop here. He has one double. Then, of course, he has the infamous home run with his family being uh, interviewed while it's happening. He scored five times. but That's team dependent. He has three RBIs, also somewhat team dependent. And then the one thing that I'll pinpoint, and then I'll give it to Ian, that we've seen different from him is the three walks to the 18 Ks, right? Now, there's a learning curve that's involved here. I don't believe this is the type of hitter at all that Isan Diaz is going to be once he's figured out his learning curve. But that ratio is why some people prematurely Ah, panic, I guess, when a prospect doesn't come up and become Ronald Acuna Jr. right away. What do you see 
in Isan Diaz, his first two weeks in the show, Ian? Well, if we're going to talk about the Kazan first of all, uh, I think he's just pressing a little bit. As pretty as his left-handed swing is, there's a bit of length to it. So he's going to get abused by that high and tight fastball early in his career. It's just something he's going to have to adjust to, something he's going to be able to have to get his bat speed around to. He's got the speed and gets the bat around, but you can just tell when that ball is high and tight or a, a slider at his feet, he's going to get beat sometimes. And it's just adjustments he's going to have to make. His plate discipline is still elite. I'm not worried about that. The kid plays great ball. He's made a few mental lapses in the field, but again, pressing. He's been the big leagues for two weeks. I don't see this as being a long-term thing. I've been seeing some extreme overreaction of this kid as maybe him being a platoon player even, which is ridiculous to me. The kid is a star. I mean, he's got the talent. He's got the power. We haven't seen it quite yet. He's played 13 games. Yeah, 13 games. I'm not really worried yet. 18Ks is worrisome, yes. But like I said, he's just he's getting beat by major league pitchers. You're not seeing these major league pitchers in AAA. I, I mean, you're just not. A lot of these guys, he's, he's hitting homers and was hitting homers in the sixth and eighth. And these are relievers that are never going to see the major leagues. So it's going to take a little bit of adjustments, but we've seen this power and we've seen what he can do with the bat. So I'm not really worried about what he can do as a major league player. And I still am highly encouraged about what we what we can see with him over the career over his career yeah to be honest i haven't been able it's hard to get the mar it's hard to watch the marlins up here so i haven't been watching them as much but uh everything i hear is that he's still having good at bats and that his plate discipline looks good which if that's the case then the results are going to come eventually uh the the strikeouts are definitely a little bit of a concern but it's it's a concern in the moment but it's not a concern for you know him in the long term i still think he's going to be a really 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 good player um you know you saw the power the way he can just turn on a ball and explode on it when he um, uh, took uh, DeGrom deep. I mean, that was just uh, – that moment was incredible and the, the hit itself was incredible. And uh, it just shows the kind of potential that this guy has. But, I mean, yeah, you have to expect, you know, not everybody is going to be Tatis and Guerrero and Acuna. I mean, even Guerrero had his struggles when he came up. And, you know, you've seen the way that Bichette has hit since he's come up. Not everybody's going to do that right when they come up to the major leagues that's not you know that's not the norm you know what i mean so there's an adjustment period there's always an adjustment period when you move to a new level we've seen it with a couple of our pitchers who have struggled in their first few starts we've seen it with some of our hitters there's always an adjustment period and he's just kind of going through his right now learning how to hit major league pitching i mean it's unlike you know it is unlike anything you see you usually see so um you know i I still think there's no reason to panic. I said recently that I'm not panicking about this guy. I refuse to panic this year. It's just good to, that he. the point of him being here is to get major league at bats, get used to it so that by opening day next year, he's ready to go and have a big year. Yeah, I think the thing with a lot of these prospects, both of you guys hit it, is the fact that there is a learning curve and that not everyone can come up and just be Juan Soto. You know, like you you mentioned Guerrero, and then, yeah, Guerrero actually struggled for a week or two yeah. weeks where he was kidding yep. quite a lot. And I'm almost 100% sure I'm on air saying this. Isan Diaz has a documented pattern of struggling in his first promotions. In his first month of AA, we're going to go with weighted runs created plus because, quite frankly, that's the easiest one for people to understand with 100 being average. First two months of AA, 
like 72, well below 100. He finished that year in AA with 125. He first goes to AAA, finished 65. He repeated AAA. He finished with 131. Now he's at the Marlins. Yeah, he's struggling a little bit. He is working deep count. So, Ethan, you said you can't see it very often. Yeah, we've watched every game. I've watched every game here. He's working counts. He's just having difficulty uh, finishing finishing that bat, quite frankly. He's taken a few mm-hmm. third-called strikes, which was odd with him. Uh, it's something like he's almost sitting on a fastball, and they get him with the off-speed. So he's learning. <laughs> That's what's happening. He learned in double-A, and then he dominated. He learned in triple-A, and then he dominated the hope is that he learns here and that he dominates again. Whoever is saying that he could be a role player out of 13 mm-hmm. games, you baseball is not the sport for you. Like go watch basketball because that's just not going to happen when you have a 23 year old facing DeGrom and Bueller and Kershaw and Marquez and Gray. It, it's not going to occur. So when it comes to Isan, I'm okay with what's happening. You know, it was a shame that his difficulties bled into the defense a little bit because his defense was actually perfectly fine until yesterday's game with the multiple errors. Mm -hmm. But aside from that, you see a a player who can be a competent big league starter. And and I think that's exactly what he's going to be. So nothing necessarily for me to be worried about there. Ethan, I'm going to go to you if you have any final thoughts with that. But if not, let's go into the training position players because we haven't spoken about that in a while, but there's a lot of really good points and players to bring up at the moment. So I'm going to let you choose whoever you want to discuss uh, and then we'll get that ball rolling. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to hold off on, on Blade because I'm going to talk about him later and I'm letting you guys know that now because I want to talk about him. Message um, received. Bur- Burdick, Burdick has been incredible. I mean, these numbers right here, 407, uh, 469 OBP, 889 slugging percentage over his last 10 days. I think he hit like two home runs in a game recently. Um, and I just, I love what I've seen all year from this guy. I really do. Um, his numbers in college pumped me up, got me really excited. And, you know, like I said, like everybody expected Blade and Meisner to come in and tear the cover off the ball and they're hitting well, you know, I'll talk about JJ in a second and Meisner's has, has some nice numbers, but how about going off the board a little bit with Burdick and just seeing the way he's just exploded onto the scene? I mean, uh, sooner rather than later, like we should see this outfield in Jupiter of Burdick, Meisner, and Blade, which could very well, we were talking about future outfield combinations. That could very well be a future outfield combination for the Miami Marlins. So um, it, he's been fantastic this year, and I, I love what I'm seeing from him. And I was excited about him when I saw him coming out, and he's giving me no reason to not be excited about him heading forward. <clears throat> Sorry about that, gentlemen. But who I want to talk about this week, <laughs> Lewin Diaz, man. Every time he gets a hold of the ball, it's going over the fence. Yeah. Like, uh, it's, it's, it's a lot. He's striking out a good amount still, but he's getting a hold of the ball. He's so big. I mean, I try to talk about he had some strikeout problems before he was acquired. And when you look at his numbers, it's not really apparent that he has strikeout problems. But he has he's 6'7", I believe. And he has an extremely long swing, so it takes him some time to get on the ball. But when he gets a hold of the ball, it goes a very long way. And he's he's, uh, <clears throat> he's got four homers the last 10 days. <clears throat> he's got three doubles. He just hits the ball for extra base hits. And he's going to push somebody, maybe Garrett Cooper, for that first base position real soon. <clears throat> Another guy who's been walking at an extremely high pace over the last two weeks is Jazz Chisholm at 18%. 
that's just what I want to see. I mean, his, his strikeout rate is still 27%, which is, man. But, hey, it's not 34%, and he's walking at 18%. If he can get in these lineups where he's got when he's got support around him, he might be able to turn this around and start hitting at a lower strikeout clip. The kid's got so much talent, and if we start seeing him strike out 24% of the time, it's going to be a superstar in the making. Yeah. So uh, those are two guys that we just acquired, but they're just still just making me excited watching them play. I mean, it's been a real fun. It's been a really fun time to see Jazz in the system. I want to touch on those guys real quick, Danny. Um, mm-hmm. Lewin's walk rate since he's gotten to the Marlins has jumped from 5.8% to the, with the Twins to 11.3% since he's got to the Marlins. His OBP is 325, and he's slugging 588. That's good for a 155 weighted runs created plus, which is pretty exceptional for a guy with a 221 batting average. Uh, and then Jazz has a 151 weighted runs created plus since he got here. His walk rate is 10.5%. Um, his walks have gone up a ton this year. And yeah, the best thing that Ian pointed out is that he's only striking out at 24.6%. His average is at 245, which everybody was so worried about when he came over. And his OVP is at 351. They've both been really, really good since they got here. And it's really encouraging to see them jump into the system and kind of fix some of the things that we were worried about. Absolutely. I, I'm going to continue to sing the praises of this deadline, whether it's going to bite me in the butt later. But I am so excited with the fact that they've come over and we've gotten immediate results, right? We always preach patience. It's something that we've done on this show often, over and over again. But it's nice to not need patience right now because when Lewin Diaz comes over and Jazz Chisholm comes over and they start producing at that rate, it's a beautiful thing to, uh, to see. To see they identified something they needed they got it and it's it's we're seeing the fruits of it hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I, I won't get too much into the numbers. I'll just say something that's rather impressive for me. Over the last 10 days, the Marlins have quite a lot of bats in their system with an OPS well over 800. Okay. In that list, a vast majority of them have been added in the last three months. So that's to mm-hmm. the point of I think it was I think it was Ethan, but someone mentioned that before you would look at these box scores and you would look at the minor league system and there is just no hitting, no hitting. You have yeah. your guys, you have Isan Diaz, you have Amante Harrison, and and they were the only things that we could talk about, like pulling teeth, because no one else was. Now, anytime that I do the screenshot for us of the last ten days. Burdick, and Blade and J.D. Oren, Lewin Diaz, and Jazz Chisholm, Nick Reddy, Evan Edwards, player after player mm-hmm. after player that has been added over the last three months. And, and again, just another chef's kiss to the fact that they identified something and they did something about it. So aside from that, I won't get into the names, but I'm going to let Ian start off with our trending pitching prospects. And this is covering over the last 30 days. What you got for me? Oh, man. Our pitching is still dominating everywhere. My guy, C.J. Carter, he's became the closer for Jupiter and has been dominating since he's taken over his that role. His last eight games, he's went 10 innings. He's got three walks, nine strikeouts, and that, that's about it. 
He's given up five hits, no runs, and he's just looking fantastic. He's, like I said, I think in our first episode, he has probably the nastiest delivery I think I've ever seen from from a guy who's 5'9", 5'8", 5'9", pitching at a level, a high level like this. It's been fantastic to watch. Touchdown Tommy is getting back on his game. He's back in, back in Jacksonville, and he looks great. He just needs to get his confidence back, and he can be a dominant reliever. A couple a couple starters that are still looking great. George Soriano's put up great numbers in his last five starts. Evan Fitterer still looks like a great – he's looking like a great pitcher at 18 years old down in rookie ball. I'm excited to see what he's going to do next year in full ball. Nick Nider is back with New Orleans and is getting his feet wet again. He looks okay. He's walking more than he should right now, but – with 12 walks in his last 26 innings, but he's pitching well and he's striking out guys at a high level. So it's exciting to see these guys back in the system and doing stuff at a high level right now. Excuse me. God dang. <laughs> yeah, I would say, I would say, uh, I, I, one guy I was definitely going to talk about and I'll expand on a little bit is, uh, is Nidert. Um, just to see him get some longevity. Um, he's gone. It, since he's been back in AAA, he's gone five innings, six innings, and six innings. Uh, he allowed a lot of uh, hits in his second start. He allowed nine hits, but he only let in uh, three runs, so that shows him limiting damage. Uh, he's got eight walks, uh, quick math, since he's been back in AAA in three starts, which is a lot, but he's got 16 strikeouts in those three starts, which is pretty solid. Um, it's just nice to see him getting some innings to finish up the year and they're pretty clean, uh, two runs, three runs and no runs in three starts in triple a, despite letting up, uh, five hits in one game and nine hits in another. Um, so just to see him limiting damage is really good. And just like I said, like getting some innings back, I think he's a guy that definitely plays well as an AFL candidate this year, um, just so that he can get some innings because, I mean, he was the best pitcher in our system last year, and if he goes to the AFL and pitches well and then pitches in spring training well, um, you know, I'm not saying he can start on the opening day roster, but it's not out of the realm of possibilities, and he's easily a guy that can make it up to the big leagues uh, at some point next year, maybe even early. Um, so I think it will be good. It would be good to send him out to Arizona and get him some innings. And, yeah, you touched on touchdown Tommy, man. He's finally back. Uh, since he got, you know, sadly he got to, he had to get demoted, but 1.54 ERA and 0.60 WHIP in his last 30 days, uh, which is pretty impressive. So, uh, yeah, Nider just seeing him back on the mound is good, and I mean Fitterer's been good, Mokma's been pretty good, Palacios is still dominating. So, yeah, a lot of still a lot of excitement in the uh, pitching aspect of the Marlins organization, despite all the movement recently. Yeah, there's so much ridiculous talent here that I get to talk about teenagers, okay? 19-year-old Luis Palacios over the last month, 17 Ks to one walk. Brady Encarnacion, we have another Encarnacion in the system, 18 years old, 23 Ks to six walks. Alberto Guerrero's 21, so not really a teenager anymore, but 21 Ks to four walks. I mean, these guys are at the lowest levels right now two of them being still teenagers and putting up this type of uh, this type of production. Now, yes, of course, it's against other rookie ball and other DSL and GCL competition, but it's still something that shows us where these uh, where the depth is, where the strength is. And mm -hmm. also, while I'm saying this, how crazy is it that you keep reminding I keep reminding myself that Sixto Sanchez and Edward Cabrera are also 21. Like I'm talking <laughs> about Alberto Guerrero, rightfully so. 
okay? Because he's at the level he really kind of should be with his age or around that level. And yet Sixto Sanchez and Edward Cabrera are doing it against double A hitting. It's mm-hmm. abs- it's incredible. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And also before we go into our segments, let me just say one more thing. Now that we've wrapped up the hitters and the position players, you know, we were mentioning earlier the hypotheticals of a Francisco Lindor trade or whatever superstar you might want to talk about. This is truly the first time since Jose Fernandez is a prospect that we would even be able to sit at the big boy table for these kinds of players. And yeah. that is something that we should be excited about because when you're talking about these pitching depth this pitching depth that we see in front of us and we're talking about the hitting depth that we suddenly have this year i really believe that there is not a single player outside of the elite of the elite that the marlins would not be able to sit at the big boy table for when talking about trades and that is something that i don't think we could have said ever (laughs) even when we had a jose fernandez and a christian yelich it was very top heavy it wasn't this depth coming through so just something to really reflect on as we move into our segments, which of course is going to be Ian's segment, best pitcher, best hitter of the week, brother. Oh man. I've been waiting to talk about this guy all, 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 all episode and he's been fantastic. The last two starts and that's Daniel Castano. Oh man. He threw a, 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 a nine hit. Excuse me. I cannot talk tonight guys. God dang. <clears throat> but through a complete game, two starts to get two starts to go, one one run, five hits, thirteen Ks, no walks. He's currently playing for Jacksonville. He was the fourth piece in the Ozuna trade two years ago. And he's been fantastic for Jacksonville all year long. <clears throat> he's got a two three seven FIP on the year in Jacksonville. He's got <clears throat> excuse me. I cannot talk. I'm sorry about this, guys. At 62 Ks to 11 walks. And it's because Castaño is so impressive. That's I mean, he's been really good the last two weeks. I've been. I mean, I, I knew about him. He's been he's been lingering on the system for a while. He was in at the FSL for two years and looked good. But since he's got the Jacksonville, he's just turned into a different guy. And that 13 K no walk game the other night was just phenomenal. Swing and a miss. Strike three. 13 strikeouts, a baker's dozen for Daniel Castano as he goes the distance. A nine-inning complete game against Mississippi and a final score of the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp 5 and the Mississippi Braves 1. Like, oh my goodness, it was just so great to watch him pitch. And just his last two starts overall, 16 innings, 9 hits, 3 earned runs, 2 walks, 16 Ks. He's been really special this year, and I'm excited to see what he can do. It's just maybe a, maybe a piece down the road in two years or so. But And Ian, before you go to your hitter, I'll say this. Yes, I think that Castano is another indicator of what we're seeing with this Marlin system, which is that for all the concerns that we might have and that I personally share, that the Marlins might not be able to target or develop appropriate hitters and, and, and batters, uh, they can definitely do that on the pitching side. They, we've seen a Zach Allen come over who wasn't supposed to be anything special and then look at what he's become. Even someone like a Nick Nider who wasn't, and then in his first year, boom, the young production that they're getting from their teenagers and early 20-year-olds. And Daniel Castano is simply just another another example of what the Marlins can do really well, which is identify pitchers and maximize them for value. And like you said, he might be a piece in the rotation or someone that we flip later on, per se, with Zach Gallen, although very different pitchers, that we would have had the conversation with a week ago. So I just wanted to say that because I really think it's a testament to what this system has been able to do developmentally on the mound. Absolutely, man. It's been so exciting to see. And that's a guy you haven't heard about once this year, and he's putting up a fantastic season. Like, it's all over. You can't, you can't miss it. 
But my hitter of the week as well will be Tyler Hyman. Uh, We signed him out of Arizona off waivers earlier this year. And his last 10 games, he's just been raking. He's hitting 429, 487, and he's slugging 914. He's got five doubles, and he's got four homers with eight RBIs in his last 10 games. He's walked four times. He's struck out four times. He's a catcher hitting for power in NOLA. He's taking full advantage of playing in the PCL. And he's just been fun to watch this week. I mean, he's got big numbers. He's had big numbers his whole career in the minors. He's kind of an older journeyman-type prospect, but it's fun to talk about these AAA guys when they're dominating like this. But those are just my hitters for the week. It's been it's so hard to choose anymore. I mean, we can talk about <clears throat> we can talk about any one of these guys for 45 minutes. So it's so hard to just minimize everything and talk about a few of these guys. But it's so fun. Yeah, it's a good problem to have. All right, Ethan. Things we love to see. All right, let's get this one going, boys. We talked about Victor Mesa Jr. earlier. I absolutely love this guy. I love the swag that he plays with. I just love his energy on and off the field. He's a great Instagram follower, even though I don't know how to speak Spanish. He's amazing. But uh, he hit his first home run in the GCL, uh, and that should excite the crap out of all of us. Uh, he's been really, really good this year. I'm pulling up his numbers now, but just that he's starting to show some more power because that was like the only thing that we hadn't really seen with him. Uh, right now, his slash line is 295, 372, 416 slugging percentage. He's got a 126 weighted runs created plus, and he's only stri- he's striking out less than 15% of the time, and he's walking at an 11.4% uh, clip, which is pretty tremendous. Uh, so these Mesa brothers, man, they don't strike out. He hits for power, um, and he's only 17 years old. Uh, he'll be uh, he'll he'll be uh, 18 at the beginning of September. I mean, this guy is just. We should absolutely be so excited about him. He's very far away. He's still got a long way to go, um, but we should absolutely be excited about him and the ability, like you said earlier. I think Danny said this to help us when we're already winning you know, a, a guy that can come in and help us like the way Jordan Alvarez has helped the Astros. And I'm not saying he'll be Jordan Alvarez, but, you know, that kind of help could be provided. Uh, my next thing that I really love to see is Jose Devers is back in the lineup. Uh, he's been playing in the GCL. Uh, he's got uh, 20 at-bats, and he's hitting 300 with a 400 OBP, it seems like, um, over the last 10 days, which is exciting. Um, just to see him getting some work back, see him in the field. Hopefully he makes it back to Jupiter before the end of the year, gets himself b- kind of back on track with the injury this year. He could be another guy uh, that could play well as an AFL candidate. And then the last thing, and I've been waiting all show to talk about this guy, is uh, J.J. Blade. Finally, 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 he's been putting up the results. Um I tweeted out when I tweeted out, you know, the tweet was, I'm not worried about Isan and I'm not worried about Blade and I will not worry about either of them. Um, and there's, he's shown me that I should have been, I should not have been worried since August 7th. This is the last 11 days. He's hitting 317 with a 378 OBP and a 537 slugging percentage. Uh, his weighted run, runs created plus over that period is 171. And he's only striking out at a 20% clip and an eight walking at an 8.9% clip over that uh, period, those 11 days. So far on the year, he's only striking out 19.8% of the time. And his full slash line is 240, 283, 380. He's made that look a lot better recently. He was under 200 not that long ago. 
uh, and he's got himself up at a 97 weighted runs created plus. So this guy's really getting hot, and we're finally seeing what we expected to see from him. He's played a lot of baseball this year, and it was always going to be a big adjustment to jump right up to high A. Um, so, you know, I wasn't really surprised by his slow start, but he's on fire right now. He's hit a couple dingers recently. Uh, he's got um, showing more power going into the gaps and getting some doubles. So um, we have every reason to be excited about this guy, and he's finally showing it. And, um, yeah, the, the way he's been turning the cover off the ball recently has me jacked up. And uh, I'm really, really excited about what we have with this guy. I mean, I always was, and he, he's only made it more so last week or so. Yeah, I love that. I love that choice. For for like a mental project here, I want you to think about something, okay? If J.J. Blade had gone to Clinton and had struggled, I think that we would have had a little bit more of a reason, regardless of the learning curve yep. and regardless of the long season, uh, to, to be concerned possibly, even though that still would have been a little premature. But this is what I want you to think of. He's in Jupiter, okay? The mm-hmm. the Jupiter Hammerheads started this year with one of the best pitching talents in that that uh, in that system, or not rather in that system, but at that level, right? With the Trevor Rogers, with an Edward Cabrera, mm-hmm. uh, with a Rex and Garrett, whatever the case is. Uh, the Marlins were not the only A level team to have solid pitching. This is the type of pitching that JJ Bleday went from the SEC in college with aluminum bats. Mm-hmm to wooden bats for a major league system in Jupiter. It, it was not going to ever be that easy. <laughs> okay. No, it, it was wasn't. not ever going to be without a learning curve. It would have been lovely to see, but it was never going to be such a simple task for JJ Blay to skip into Jupiter and just destroy the baseball. This isn't um, a Riley Green at a lower level. This isn't a Bobby Witt at a lower whatever the case is, he went to freaking high A. Like he's right there. So I, yeah. I'm happy that we're starting to see him after his learning curve hit the ball a little bit, and not just a little bit, a lot of it. But but for those that were maybe a little panicked, I would have understood if he had gone to Clinton, but him being at Jupiter, there was a reason that this kind of took place. So I, I'm with you, Ethan. Yeah, it's just, like you said, like if he had gone to Clinton, yeah. And that's why I think it's good that he didn't go to Clinton because it kind of prevented us a bit from getting worried. You know what I mean? Um, and... And so now he's here and he's raking and this Jupiter outfield, this Jupiter lineup all of a sudden looks really, really good compared to the way it looked at the beginning of the year when it just looked bad. But now with Gerard and him and Burdick and Meisner on the way, I mean, it looks really, really good. Yeah, Jupiter and Jacksonville next year are going to be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of fun. All right. So we're going to wrap it up with my under the radar. And, and, you know, we're going to pat ourselves on the back a little bit because all of us collectively have said quite a lot of under the radar guys that have performed this year. Right. I said Demetrius Sims, Sierra early on, George Soriano, Luis Palacios. We've gotten CJ Carter. We've gotten uh, other other players that we have dropped Bubba Hollins, which have produced. This one's going to be a little different. Because there's no way that I could get this guy to be under the radar. I just think that people don't understand the year he's having. So for those of you other than Ethan and Ian, obviously, because you don't have access to our notes, I have uh, three slashes for pitching across. And I've blacked out the name of my guy. Okay, The three are Trevor Rogers, then my guy from today, and Braxton Garrett. Trevor Rogers and Braxton Garrett are individuals that we believe should be at the very least fringe top 100 prospects the way they're performing and likely top 100 next year. Now, I do not think that this guy 
is the equivalent to either of these two. I really don't. I believe that this prospect will eventually be a bullpen piece, although I do think he could be a very strong bullpen piece. But my guy has almost the same amount of innings pitch as Rogers, and he has 20 more than Braxton. He's has less hits allowed than Trevor Rogers over that time, and only eight more hits than Braxton. He has one more run allowed than Trevor Rogers. He has one more strikeout than Braxton, and his whip is only 0.05 more than Braxton Garrett. This is the player we're talking about. Very similar to two guys that we talk about at uh, ad nauseum about how good they are, except that their name isn't George Guzman. Because, see, George Guzman comes last year and he struggles. He has difficulties with he has difficulties with walks. He has difficulties with control. He's this really strong, you know, velo guy, but he can't really pitch. And then all of this year, again, what? right there with innings pitched, right there with K's, right there's with with his whip, okay, which is walks and hits per innings pitched. Now the biggest difference here, absolutely, is still the control. He has allowed a lot more walks. His walks are at sixty-seven. Trevor Rogers at twenty-nine. And Braxton Garrett is at 36. A significant difference here. But when you have a whip that's only 0.05 more than Braxton Garrett, something's happening here. So for those of you that gave up very quickly on a George Guzman, and I get it because last year, you know, he comes over, he's a top 100 guy, and then he has an awful year. He can't control anything. He's getting hit out of the ballpark uh, almost every start. Just look at the numbers for this year. Understand that he is older that he does not have the ceiling of these guys, at least in my mind. He could because of his velo, his movement, regardless of the age. And that even if I think he's a relief pitcher, it's eye-opening how close he is to two guys that we consider future possible aces. So what do you think? I didn't realize he's been that good. And he's been pretty, really good recently. Really, really good recently. But I didn't realize he's been that good over that, you know, over this period of time. I mean, He's even dropped the walks from last year. He was at a 6.0 BB per not, uh, walks per nine. Now he's at, I mean, it's still really high, but he's at 4.76. So, but yeah, his numbers are really, really impressive. And I didn't even realize how impressive they were, especially that whip, 1.26. So, I mean, still racking up the strikeouts. Yeah, like I said, like I still see him as, an, I think, a guy that can be an elite closer in this game. But, uh, he's he's not going to go down without a fight to try and be a starter. I've said that all year. He's not going to go down without a fight. Uh, he's going to try and be a starter for as long as he can. He's not going to make it easy for the Marlins either. Right, and that's something that people keep saying. Like, okay, just put him in the pen already, right? Like, just develop him as a pen. That he, that's where he's eventually going to be anyway. But quite frankly, I look at this, and listen, again, I'm going to reiterate, I think he eventually ends up in the pen. I understand. But if you're the Marlins, you can't take him and say, oh, you haven't deserved to be in the starting staff this year. You know, you develop him as a starter as long as you can. You're not going to hurt him by doing that, unless if you really, you know, misuse his innings, which he seems to be okay with. And then if at some point he just pushes himself out of rotation, good, then he's the pen. But it's incredibly impressive what he's done. Although, yes, the walks are still going to be the issue that's going to take him from being a possible Trevor Rogers and Braxton Garrett and make him a back-of-the-pen uh, type of arm. Ian, what do you think? I think it's going to be tough. I do ultimately think he's going to be an eighth or ninth inning guy for this for the majority of his career. But I don't think it's going to be at the beginning of next year yet. I think they're going to let him start the year again as a starter and see what and see where this goes. His arm doesn't have that many innings on it yet. <clears throat> he's had a few hundred hundred inning years, but nothing extreme. 
The walks are still high, but he's striking guys out, and he's battling good lineups in Double A right now. I mean, these Trevor Rogers and Braxton Garrett, same age, have done this majority of the year at at high A. If 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 Guzman has this year, last year with with Jupiter, he's 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 all over the he's all over the boards right now, getting talked about. So I think I think Jorge has has put himself in a position. Excuse me, George has put himself in a position to have another chance to be a starter in 2020. But if it starts to go south soon, I think they'll make the the transition to bullpen extremely quick. Yeah, I thought you guys would enjoy this one today. Yeah, I think next year's a big year for him. And I thought you were going to go off the radar with this. Like, I was very surprised that it was George Guzman. I mean, very, very surprised. Yeah, I, I was looking at the numbers. I was actually doing it while I was doing the trending pitching prospects. And I clicked it on strikeouts, and then I saw this, and I just it, it, it caught me by surprise. So I just found it by random circumstance. But it caught me by surprise how close he's been to two guys that, again, we have at high, such a high yeah. standing. And yet again, it just speaks to the depth of the system, something that we will continue, <laughs> because this is earning their stripes, after all, talking about. All right, fellas, we are, what, five days away? From the Canes upsetting the Gators, I hope from that, that guys- <laughs> from that forty burger you guys are going to eat. I don't know what you're talking about, Danny. I, yeah, hope, I mean, the, the fun, the funniest thing about the Canes are I saw all these Cane fans making fun of Gator fans because they were trashing Tate last week. But I can't see not every one of these Kane fans talking trash about this depth chart that's about to wax you on Saturday. <laughs> this dude's playing wide receiver. They brought this man in to be quarterback. Because he's, 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 he's a gamer and he wants to help out the, any way he can, man. Yeah, any way, any way he can. Yeah, Danny. Any way he can get on the field. He's Julian Edelman. Good way to keep him in the, keep him in the university <laughs> instead of dipping out to the transfer portal. Again. So we need to end it. Perfect. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, man, I told him before this game because I lesson in 2013. I talked so much shit on Twitter in 2013, and it backfired on me completely when we lost. And I told myself, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to be nice on Twitter and, and just have good discussions. And then, of course, I get caught up in July and August, Liar. big three Twitter. And all of a sudden, I'm calling everybody. I'm calling everybody an idiot for picking the Canes, and I'm saying the Gators are dropping forty and winning by, you know, three touchdowns or whatever. I don't know. It's either way. Like I just can't wait to be there. I'm really excited for us to just kick the ball off already because, like I said, July and August Big Three Twitter is the worst, and um, I just can't wait to get this game underway. And uh, I can't wait to. I'm so excited. I'm going to be there. I, I'm. I feel very lucky that I'm going to be there to to witness this game. And what I'm really excited about is that uh, we got a home and home coming soon. Mm, that's I'm really, excited really for that exciting. too. That's great for both schools. And I mean, I could talk. We could do a whole earning their stripes episode about this game. But you're you're gonna have to eat on Monday or Tuesday, Danny. Is all I'm saying. But hey, look, as all we'll still be friends on Monday. I oh, will still course. be here. I, I mean, if the Gators lose, I'll I'm not sure too. if you guys are going to be there, but I will still be here. Uh, I'll, and, I'll show up. I, I'm excited. I'm excited to see it. All right, fellas. Love you. Appreciate you. As always, everyone that's listening, thank you for being a part of this. We love what we do. Let us know if you have any questions and make sure to like, make sure to subscribe, make sure to let us know what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong. All right. Y'all have a good one and <laughs> go Canes.
1-0. And high in the air, pretty deep to center. Lead the center fielder on the run, on the warning track, looks up, it's good! Lewin Diaz, a homer in a straightaway center! And Jacksonville leads 1-0 in the fourth. Righty on righty, here's the pitch. Swing and a hard grounder up the middle. Twine, backhanded stabs behind the bag. Second baseman's got it. Throws to first for the out. And this inning is over. 6-0 Sanchez now through 24 innings in a row without allowing a run. Now we go to the bottom.